The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. There's a story I read this week about three buddies who were sitting around and they were in a tender moment and they were discussing death. And one of the buddies asked the group, he said, what would you like people to say about you at your funeral? One of them responded, I'd like people to say he was a great humanitarian who cared about his community. The other one said, at my funeral, I hope people say about me he was a great husband and father. What He was an example for many to follow. The final man said, I hope at my funeral they will say, look, he's moving. <laughs> That would be great, wouldn't it? What do you want people to say at your funeral? It is coming. It is inescapable. It is inevitable. What do you want people to say at your funeral? Thomas Edison talked about the reality of death in this way. You may know the line. He says, in the world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. The world doesn't quite know what to do with death. At first, many people try to ignore death. They try to pretend that it doesn't exist. But then the reality of the awfulness of death sets in. They try to get away by just telling jokes and ignoring the fact of it, just like I did, to to pretend like death doesn't really happen, to never have to really contemplate their mortality. Once ignorance fails us and we visit funerals and we realize that people die and we will one day die, many times we try to romanticize it. We try to talk about death in glowing terms as if death is natural, as if death is our friend. You'll see this a lot in movies. Um, A lot of times I watch children's movies now and you'll see in things like the Lion King, they'll talk about the circle of life, right? It's okay when somebody dies because it's a part of the circle of life. Or one of my favorite movies, Kung Fu Panda, Master Ogwe dies, or he simply, he doesn't really die. He just says, you must believe. And then there is this this peach blossom haze that forms around him and carries him up to heaven. If you look at the movie Gladiator, it says, oh, I lost that quote. Um, If you look at Einstein, take outside movies, Einstein said, our death is not an end if we can live on in our children. An Eskimo proverb says, perhaps they are not stars, but rather openings in heaven where the love of our lost ones pours through the shines down upon us to let us know they are happy. Edward Munch says, from my rotting body, flowers shall grow. I am in them, and that is eternity. People grasp for ways to understand death. They're grasping to try to figure out how death can be okay. Sometimes they try to ignore it. Sometimes they try to romanticize it, to soften it, to befriend it. But Jesus has a much different view of death, a view that we are going to look at today. If you would, please open up to John chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 27. If you're in the Red Bible, it's page 897. If you're in the Children's Bible, it's 13. 19. 
page 897 in the Red Bible, 1319 in the Children's Bible. Today we are going to cover another of Jesus's famous I am statements. Throughout the Gospel of John, he has seven statements in which he says, I am fill in the blank. And through these statements, Jesus is not only claiming divinity, but he's also claiming the attributes of God for himself. And so we've walked through a lot of them. And what I like to do is to quiz you because I want you to remember these when you're discouraged, when you're downtrodden. Let these be great assurance to you and reminders of you who Christ is. So let me ask you, do you remember any of the I am statements that we've covered so far? I am the light of the world. Very good. So Christ illumines us spiritually. He shows us our sin. He shows us the glory of a savior. What else? I am the good shepherd, right? He knows us by name. He seeks us out. He draws us to himself. He protects us. He holds us in his hands. So we will never, ever, ever be lost. Good. What else? Jesus says, I am the, the what? The blood and the life. Not yet. <laughs> The other one, I am the, the life we'll get to today. What? The door, good. So Jesus is the entrance gate. There is only one door into the kingdom of God, and it is through Jesus. One more, I am the bread of life. Very good. And so we must consume Christ through faith, and he will consume us. And today we will see Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so that's what we're going to read here. John 11, verse 1 through 27. John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. That will actually come in chapter 12 when she does that. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after he said to the disciples, let us go to, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went 
and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to him, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the, la- of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. Let's pray. Lord God, as we contemplate the finiteness of us, that one day we will die. One day there will be a funeral. One day there will be things said about us. Lord, how are we to understand death? Should we simply ignore it, not talk about it with our children or our friends? Should we romanticize it, pretend that it is just something natural that is supposed to be a part of life? Or can we have great hope in death? Show us today from your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. No matter how hard people try to ignore death, there comes a time in their life where they are faced with the reality that death is inevitable. Either it's a death of an acquaintance or of a loved one, or even as they consider their own death. And so today, I want to look from John 11, 1 through 27, and consider three truths about death that should comfort our souls. The first is that the devast- is the devastation of death. The second is the design of death. And finally, we will look at the death of death. The devastation, the design, and the death of death. First, the devastation of death. Just because death is common does not mean that death is natural. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they were created, they were created to live forever in Eden. And God gave them a warning. He said, if you eat this forbidden fruit, if you rebel against me, surely you will die. Surely you will bring something foreign to this world, into this world. Surely you will bring something that is not supposed to be a part of this world as being a part of this world. Surely you will bring in death. And when they ate the forbidden fruit, that very day, they died spiritually. And that very day, they started their departure to physical death. Their bodies began to wear away. And as descendants of Adam and Eve and descendants of their sin, we too are facing death, but it is not the way it's supposed to be. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has put eternity into man's heart. Death grieves us because we realize that this is not the way it's supposed to be. People cry at funerals because it is sad when somebody dies. Death is not our friend. Death is our enemy. We should hate it. We should be saddened by it. In John 11, verse 19, we read that many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. They were sad. Verse 21, Martha even said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She did not say, this is okay. This is natural. She said, I do not want him to die. He should not have died. I want him to live. 
if you skip into next week's passage in verse 33, we learn that Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. And that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled and that Jesus wept. And so our own Savior, the creator of the world, weeps at death. Do you remember the first time the reality of death devastated you? I remember what it was for me. There was this uh, boy in my church. He was also on my soccer team. His name was Timmy, and he was a little redhead kid. And I didn't know Timmy that well, but one day my parents told me that Timmy's dad had got cancer and Timmy's dad had died. And I remember over the next couple of weeks, sitting on a hill, laying in my bed, walking home from school, weeping, thinking, this is not right. This is not okay. Now Timmy does not have a father. Timmy's father is gone. Have you, have you hit that point in your life where that reality has smacked you in the face? What have you done with it? Have you tried to ignore it? Have you tried to romanticize it? Or are you engaging in it as Christ has? Matthew 5, 4 said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We are called to mourn over the effects of the fall, mourn over death, be saddened by it. Jesus weeps over death, and so shall we. So that is the devastation of death. Then we see the design of death, particularly Lazarus, but for us all. Verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, that Lazarus was sick, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It does, but it doesn't. We'll find that out later. This sickness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then something very interesting. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, or therefore, because he loves them, when he heard that Lazarus is ill, Jesus stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Isn't that an interesting response from Jesus? I mean, we would expect it to say that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, Jesus rushed to the side of Lazarus and healed him. That's what we would expect it to say. Or for Jesus to say, you know what? His faith has healed him. Go in peace. But that's not what Jesus did. Because Jesus loved Martha, because he loved Mary, because he loved Lazarus, that's what it says here, Jesus waited two days. He waited two days. He let Lazarus go through the suffering of grasping for his last breath. He let Martha and Mary go through the tragedy of losing their brother. And he did all of this because he loves them. How does that make sense? How does that make sense? Well, we actually see here there are two reasons why Jesus does this. There are things that are greater to us than life itself. Realities that we need to understand and experience that are even better than Lazarus being healed from being sick. And this is what God uses this for. First off, we see that Jesus delayed his response to make sure Lazarus was sickness, to make sure he was good and dead so that the father and son could receive glory. Verse four, it is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. How would God receive glory from Lazarus' death? Spoiler alert, all right? 
Jesus will raise Lazarus from the dead to show his authority over death. The most loving thing that Jesus could do for Mary and Martha and Lazarus is show the glory of God to them. That is even greater than life itself. And so he loves them by demonstrating his power over death and showing his glory. The second reason Jesus delayed is found down in verse 14. It says, then Jesus told them, the disciples plainly, Lazarus has died. They didn't quite get it when Jesus said he's asleep. So he just says, he's dead. And for your sake, I am glad, literally rejoicing. Jesus is rejoicing that Lazarus is dead. He says, I am glad that I was not there. And then here's the second reason. So that you may believe. Jesus knew that if he waited, Lazarus and Mary and Martha and you and me would receive something greater. We receive a knowledge that Jesus does indeed have authority over death, but Jesus delays his response. He has to delay his response to show them what they need to most know. He had to delay his response because he loved them. This is something important for all of us. All of us in one way or another in our life, at one time in our life, probably right now, we are waiting on God, right? God, there is this urgent matter. Somebody is sick. Lord, I need a job. God, when will you rescue me from the tyranny in my marriage? Lord, when will you heal my body? And God waits. And what we learn here is the only reason why God's way is because he loves you. And he wants to reveal his glory to you. And he wants to help you grow in your faith. We see this with the people of God throughout the Bible. Abraham and Sarah, God promises them a baby and then waits decades to deliver it to him. He waits until Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. Her, her womb is dead is what the scriptures say. He wanted to show that the gift that he was going to give was a miracle, a gift from God. And so he makes them wait. You think of the people of God who are wandering in the wilderness, waiting to be delivered into the promised land. But God loves them and he has something more important planned for them to to have a home. He wants to grow them in their faith. He wants to purge out the idolatry in their hearts. He wants to raise up leaders. And so they have to wait for 40 years. You may be waiting on God. You may be petitioning him. You may be even suffering because you are waiting. But God tells us this, that if you are his child and you are waiting, it is for this reason alone, because he loves you, because he is going to glorify himself, because he is going to strengthen your faith. James Montgomery Boyce puts it this way. He says, learn to interpret circumstances by the love of Christ and not Christ's love by circumstances. Did you catch that? Learn to interpret circumstances, whatever's going on in your life, by the love of Christ and not Christ's love by the circumstances. And so when you are faced with the reality in which you are waiting on God, One question that you need not ask, does God love me? 
Is God making me wait because he hates me? The answer is no. Jesus loves us. And so he calls us to wait to fulfill his good and perfect plan. But when it is time for God to act, God acts decisively. We see that here in verse six. It says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Come on, let's go quickly. Let's go. It's time. It's the father's time. Let's go. We've waited, but now it's time. Verse eight, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Do you remember last chapter near the end of last chapter? Jesus said, I and the father are one. They picked up stones to kill him. He deters it a little bit. They try to get him arrested and Jesus flees across the Jordan. That's where he receives news about Lazarus. And so they're saying they were just trying to kill you there. Are you sure you want to go back? And then verse nine, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This is probably confusing to you. It was confusing to me. In an agrarian culture, when it is daylight out, that is time to work, right? That is time to, to, to go out, take care of the sheep. It's time to go plant the seeds, to, to harvest. But when it's nighttime, nighttime is a time to rest. And what Jesus is saying here is that it is daytime because night is coming when I will be crucified on the cross. But now it is daytime, and so I must act decisively according to the will of God. I do not care what danger faces me. God wants to be glorified through this. And so he goes. It's kind of like the stock market or a stockbroker. I don't, I don't like uh, stock markets. It's just confusing to me. I have a financial planner, and he wants to know how much he should check in with me. And I say, very rarely, that's why I hired you because I don't care about this stuff, okay? But one thing I know is that you buy low and sell high. Oh, wait. Yep, yeah. Buy low and sell high, right? You, but see, that's how bad I am. You buy low and sell high. And so, and so a financial planner, or if it's your own money, what you'll do is you will look at the stock market and you will wait and you will wait and you will wait and then you will wait. And then when the time is right, when it reaches that mark that you're looking for, then you act decisively. And you sell. And this is what God says he does. He waits and he waits and he waits, not because he doesn't know what he's doing, not because he's absent-minded, not because he forgot about you, but because he's waiting for the right time to act decisively. That is great comfort for those of us who are waiting for something. And this is the promise that we have in Christ. And so we see the design of death for Lazarus. Finally, the death of death. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha shows tremendous confidence here, doesn't she? She shows tremendous faith, even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of grief. She says, I know you could have done whatever you wanted. I know you could have healed him. And I know he will raise again on that final day. But she didn't quite get what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying that not only will there be a future resurrection 
for Lazarus on the last day, that there will be a current resurrection for Lazarus this day. In the book of John, Jesus' miracles are also called signs. And these signs of miracles reveal something about Jesus, something about his identity. And when we go on next week and we read about and hear about Lazarus' resurrection, why he is raised from the dead is to prove what Jesus is about to say right here in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus doesn't speculate about resurrection and life. Jesus doesn't say, I can give you resurrection in the life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection in the life. What does that mean? If we want to be resurrected, if we want life, and Jesus says, I am the resurrection life, what does that mean? That means we must be united to him. Mysteriously, gloriously united to Jesus Christ so that as we die with him in his death, we are raised with him in the newness of life. Romans 6 talks about this. should be on the screen up here. Verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 8, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives for God. So you, talking to the church, talking to the saints, talking to those who trust in Christ, you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Union with Christ is something that is beautiful, that is talked about throughout Scripture, that is mysterious. You hear Paul in Philippians talking about in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, this union with Christ. And it is because we're united with our Savior who died and rose again that we can have confidence that we will be raised again on the last day, that we will be raised today, that this resurrection isn't just future, but it's present, that when we trust in Christ, we are born again and spiritually we become alive. D.L. Moody said it this way. He said, someday you will read in the papers that Moody is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1855. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the spirit shall live forever. And then in his dying words, Moody said, Earth is receding. Heaven is approaching. This is my crowning day. Awesome. Isn't it? Awesome. I love how Jesus looks death straight on. He actually, he, he's flipping towards it. He says, where's your sting? Where's your victory? Right? He, he's taunting it. He realizes death is an enemy. He grieves over it. He weeps over it. He has your death timed out. He knows when you will die. He knows the hairs on your head. And yet Jesus in the last battle puts a death to death that we might have victory, that though we die, we shall live. This is the hope of the gospel. 
After Jesus' proclamation that I am the resurrection, I'll, I'll close with this. He says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says to Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? The question is for her, but the question is for you. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, that, that your sin died with him, but that you have been raised to new life with him, that he is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe this? If so, you have been raised with him spiritually already. And there is a day that is coming when he returns that you will be raised again bodily to be a part of the new heavens and the new earth. Professional golfer, a sport I don't watch either, professional golfer Paul Azinger was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 33. He had just won a PGA championship and 10 tournament victories to his credit. He wrote, A genuine feeling of fear came over me. I could die from cancer. Then another reality hit me even harder. I'm going to die eventually anyways. Whether from cancer or something else, it's just a question of when everything I had accomplished in golf became meaningless to me. All I wanted to do was live. Then he remembered something that Larry Moody, guy who led Bible study on the Torah, said to him. He said, Zinger, we're not in the land of the living going to the land of the dying. We're in the land of the dying going to the land of the living. Paul recovered from his chemotherapy and returned to the BCA tour and did pretty well. But the bout with cancer deepened his perspective. He wrote, I've made a lot of money since I've been on the tour and I've won a lot of tournaments, but the happiness, that happiness is always temporary. The only way you will ever have true contentment is in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that nothing ever bothers me and I don't have problems, but I feel like I found the answer to the six foot hole. When Paul was diagnosed with cancer, he could no longer ignore death. Romanticizing death was not a comfort to him. Paul knew that he had only one hope, and it was Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Lord God, as we consider this weighty subject this morning, it is a, it's something that's a reality for all of us, God. And yet there is such good news that we are not in the land of the living, going to the land of the dying, but we are right now in the land of the dying, headed to the land of the living, in which we will be in communion with you joyfully and wonderfully for all eternity. On that day when our strength should fail, on that day when our breath ends, we will be more alive than ever because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And we praise you for that. In Christ's name, amen.